Welcome to Burnside at Home. It's Sunday the 9th of May and thank you for joining with us today as we worship God. Uh, This is a pre-record of the service that will be taking place in Burnside on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock and you're able to uh, listen to this on the website or on the telephone line or via the podcast. Uh, If you've got access uh, to the internet you can watch the full service. Hopefully we will be live streaming at 11 o'clock but we have been having some problems with that and if it hasn't live streamed then you may well be watching this video. Video instead. It's great that uh, you are able to join with us today and we hope and pray that uh, this service will be a blessing to you. We're continuing our little series, How Do You Cope With James? And today we're thinking about how do you cope with believing? And we're going to be looking together at James chapter 2. And we're going to sort of speed through all of that chapter together. And then during the week in our daily Bible studies, we'll be looking in a little bit more detail at each of the verses. So thank you very much for taking the time to join with us today and be part of our service. And I want to begin by reading to you from James chapter 2 and verse 5. And here James says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? And that's really the essence of what we're going to be thinking about today, that God chooses those who are poor and he makes them rich because they inherit the kingdom that he has promised. So it's all about believing in Jesus today and what difference that makes in our lives and how we can be rich in faith and how we can be poor and spirit. So let's come to God in prayer and let's ask for his blessing to be upon us today as we study his word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we are able to worship you, even though we may not be able to meet uh, together uh, for one reason or another. We thank you that we're able to worship you now. And Lord, we come to your word and we come not on our own sitting at home, but Lord, we come through your Holy Spirit and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Spirit, that you would take this word that we're reading today and apply it to our hearts so that we might know your blessing and your leading and your guiding. Today, Lord, as we pray, we want to remember the needs of others. And we want to pray once again for India. Lord, as we have been watching the reports and we have seen how the hospitals there have been overwhelmed and as the number of COVID cases and indeed the number of deaths rise on a daily basis, we pray, Lord, for that country. We pray for the government and those in leadership roles that they might be able to make the right decisions quickly. And we pray that help would be received and be able to get to those who are in greatest need quickly. Lord, we pray for our own land at this time as well. We pray for the political instability that there is at the moment and pray that very quickly that uh, things, uh, that stability would be restored again. And we ask, Lord, that you would be honoured in all that takes place. 
We pray for the NHS and we give you thanks for the vaccine uh, rollout. And we pray, Lord, for doctors and nurses who are overworked at this time and pray that you would be with them. We pray, Lord, for Robin Swan and his work in coordinating the COVID response and ask that you would bless him. Today, Lord, we pray for all those who are in great need. We know of many people, Lord, in our own circle of friends and in our own family who need you at this time. And therefore, Lord, we bring them to you in prayer and we ask that you would be honoured. So, Lord, we bring all of these, our prayers, before you now, in and through Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to God's word today and we're going to read from James chapter 2, all of the chapter from verse 1 to verse 26. And here we're thinking about uh, faith and deeds and how these two things impact our lives. And we're asking the question, how do you cope with believing? My brothers, As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps a whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, by faith itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. 
You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Amen. And we pray for God's blessing on the reading of his word. Wonder how you cope with tests. Some people thrive on being tested. They see it as an opportunity to shine. They love the adrenaline rush as the pressure increases. But there are so many others who hate testing and buckle under the pressure. This past week I had to get my blood pressure tested. And as the cuff was strapped around my arm... I had to just think to myself, stay calm. Don't get too agitated. Don't get too worried about the result of the test because if you get worried, perhaps the blood pressure is going to go up. The book of James, as we have been seeing over the last number of weeks, is all about tests. But as we saw at the start of chapter 1, these tests are not designed so that we pass or we fail. They're designed to test us like refining a metal. Each test removes the impurities in our lives and we are to consider them joy as they lead to perseverance. You remember at the beginning of James 1, And verses 2 to 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So today as we move into chapter 2 of James, we're going to encounter two huge tests that will help us understand our belief in Jesus Christ as we ask, how do you cope with believing? Remember, these tests are not trying to trip us up, but they are helping us get to the root of what we believe and how much we believe. James sets it out very clearly for us in verse 1 of chapter 2 with a very simple command that he tells us, don't show favouritism. And he links this into the act of believing. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Here is the test, as it were. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you claim to have faith in Jesus, then you should not show favoritism. If you are showing favoritism, then it needs to be removed because it's an impurity in your life and it's getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Now, 
this might seem for like a strange direction for James to be going in. Is favoritism really such a threat to our belief in Jesus? Surely there are much bigger and more dangerous sins. Surely there are other tests that you could use to determine belief. But quite often it is the simple little things that show us what is going on in someone's heart. For years I've been taking medication to try and avoid blood clots. And for a long time, the dose had to be finely balanced. Every few weeks, I would give a pinprick of blood to check that everything was as it should be. A tiny prick of blood to show what was happening. That's all it required. And by examining that little bit of blood, we were able to see what was going on in the rest of the blood in my body. And here we have the same thing with James. A tiny little action is revealing something much deeper and something that is hidden that is not easily seen. As Christians, we are not to discriminate against others. If we do, then we haven't fully understood what the gospel is all about. Look at verses 2 to 4. Does a well-dressed person deserve the gospel more than somebody in shabby clothes? Will our church be better off having wealthy people or poor people? We cannot earn the gospel. We cannot pay for the gospel. We do not deserve the gospel. And to suggest that there is a hierarchy for the gospel is to misunderstand our relationship with Jesus. Does Jesus pick me because I have money? Does he pick someone because they're intelligent? Uh, of course not. That just makes no sense whatsoever. The only requirement to be chosen by God for the gospel is to be a sinner. If someone is a sinner, then they meet the requirements more than they do with a bank balance or with status. So here's the test. How do you cope with believing? Are you showing favoritism? Because favoritism is wrong. Favoritism is wrong because favoritism is inconsistent with the fact that God chooses the poor himself. Look at verses 5 and 6. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. God chooses the poor, so if we overlook them, then we're disobeying him and we're not following him. Favoritism is also wrong because favoritism is inconsistent with the conduct of the rich. Now, not every rich person acts like this, but there are many who do. Look at verses 6 and 7. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Why would you favour people like this, James is saying? 
because they don't really care. They're, they're actually exploiting you. They're actually saying blasphemous things against Jesus and against God. Why would you favour people that treat you like that? Favoritism is also wrong because it's simply inconsistent with God's word. Look at verses 8 to 10. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Remember something very important about the gospel. We are all going to be judged. So that should really affect everything that we do. It should even affect the way that we think about things. Verses 12 to 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. This judgment's coming, so therefore we should act like that. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now what a statement that is at the end of verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So how do we cope with believing? The test is to prick ourselves and see how we treat others. If we've got that right, it's a good indication that our belief in Jesus Christ is right. But if we've got it wrong, if we're discriminating, if we're showing favoritism, then it would suggest that we haven't really got our faith in Jesus right. So we carry out the test and there may well be some impurities that have bubbled to the surface and they need to be scraped off like that refining process of metal. Maybe we've detected a little bit of favoritism. Maybe we've detected a little bit of discrimination that we need to confess and we need to seek forgiveness. May well be some here today who will react like many of James's readers because James moves into a section which has the title Faith and Deeds in our Bible. And Sometimes we get a little bit distracted by this section because many try to suggest that James is saying the complete opposite of what Paul says. Paul was very much saying faith alone throughout his writings and may well be contradicted here by in faith alone, but don't forget deeds and actions. And we get ourselves tied up in this contradiction if we assume that James is now talking about something different. But he's really just expanding upon the whole idea of favouritism. James is imagining people coming to him and saying, okay, I see what you're saying about favouritism, but I don't really need to worry about that too much because I've got faith. And that's much more important than anything I'll ever do. My faith is strong 
enough that I don't need to do anything to earn it or to back it up. And they're basically saying, look, this doesn't really apply to me. Don't, don't, don't worry. I, I can just get on with living my life. This doesn't apply to me. And James asks the question in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? What good is it? Is there really any point in anyone saying that they've got faith, but they've got no deeds. And the answer, of course, is no, that doesn't make sense. There's no point in claiming that because that isn't how it works. And the illustration that he follows this with takes us right back to favoritism and how we treat the rich and the poor. This is another test of our faith. And if we're not clear about what and why we believe, then there will be more impurities brought to the surface. So what does James say? Well, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And just in case we're still not following the argument, James repeats what he just said in verse 14 in the very next verse, verse 17, in the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Then James, I suppose, hears the argument that's put forward, where someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. But he gives us some very clear counter-arguments. In verse 18, he says that it is impossible to demonstrate what is going on in the heart without something to see on the outside. In verse 19, he makes a very compelling argument that faith is not enough because even demons have faith. They believe in God and they shudder. Then he goes on to show that two great heroes from the Old Testament actually show their faith by their actions. He tells us about Abraham offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And Abraham did not just believe in his heart in God, but he was ready to put that belief into action. The action was the pinprick of blood that showed what was going on inside Abraham. He bound his son and placed him on the, the sticks ready for the burnt offering. He put the knife in his hand and he was ready to plunge it into his son. He believed and that belief led to action. And then James goes on to give us another example from the Old Testament. Somebody who couldn't be more unlike Abraham, he, he tells us about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. And she gave shelter in her home for the spies who had been sent into Jericho to find out what it was like. And Rahab protected them. She kept them safe until nightfall. She allowed them to get down the window from her home built into the wall of the city so that they could get back to safety again. These actions showed her faith in God. Was she a true believer? 
Her actions were the pinprick of blood that showed what was going on inside. So, yes, she was a true believer. She was coping by be- with believing by doing these things for God. You could look at her life and you could see what she was doing and you knew that there was faith underpinning it. So today, if we are tested, what is the pinprick of our actions going to reveal? If someone comes along and looks at our actions, what will that reveal about our faith? You know, sometimes whenever my finger would be pricked, there would be very little blood coming out of it. Sometimes there wasn't even enough for a reading. You'd either have to prick it again or go to another finger or even give up. Today, are there enough actions to reveal what's going on in our hearts? If someone looks to test and see what it is we believe by the things that we're doing, can they find out on a Sunday? But what about tomorrow when the rest of the week, if they come to take that sample of actions again to see what is happening in our lives? So how do we cope with believing? James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So let's bow before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the faith that we can put in Jesus Christ. And we recognise, Lord, that this is not something that we do ourselves, but it is because you have called us and you have invited us into your family. And so therefore we put our faith in Jesus. We say today, as the hymn writer said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we honour you this day. And we say that mercy, your mercy, triumphs over judgment. And therefore we rely upon you. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessing now that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us all both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining with us today. Do remember that the church building is now open each Sunday at 11 o'clock. You're very welcome to join with us. If you're a little bit reticent about coming along and uh, being in among other people again, uh, do remember we've got the overflow set up in the hall. We've got a video link in there. There's a bit more space in the hall. Um, It's maybe not as cool in the hall as well. So if you're a little bit worried about temperature, uh, come along on Sunday. Just say to the folk at the door, look, I'd rather sit in the hall. No problem whatsoever. They will show you in and find you a seat there. 
and uh, you can still be part of our service and you'll be very welcome. So thank you very much for joining today and may God bless you in the week ahead.